hey friends, it's great to be able to get this time to go a little bit deeper into scripture. And what I want to do in this talk is share with you four really great and important choices that we can make in a time like this when everything feels so unknown. So I hope this is really going to help you. Uh, before I do that, I want to share with you uh, an article that I read about uh, two or three weeks ago by a guy called Andy Crouch. He's uh, one of these leader futurist researchers looking at trends, what's going on in the world, change, culture, that kind of thing. And it was a fascinating article because he was talking about this present moment that we're in. And he used three metaphors to describe how people are seeing this current moment. So he talks about the fact that some people see this as just a blizzard. You know, when uh, a blizzard happens, we've never really experienced a blizzard here in the UK, certainly not in Lower Stondon. But when a blizzard happens, uh, everyone knows you batten down the hatches. It's going to last maybe a few days, maybe a week, maybe even more. But by the time the blizzard passes, uh, it's kind of done. And when you step back out into the world, nothing much has changed. And they talk about in this article that some people are treating the current COVID moment like that. It's just a blizzard. We batten down the hatches and then we press on. But we're starting to realize that perhaps this is going beyond a blizzard and so he uses a different metaphor and he says some people are saying that this moment is essentially like winter and winter lasts for months in some parts of the world it lasts for months and months and months and of course again you batten down you look after yourselves you protect yourselves but if you get a really, really hard winter, then by the time you come out, then actually the world might have changed a little bit. Maybe houses are damaged, situations, culture, landscapes have changed, just a margin. And so it's not quite the same as before you set in for that winter. But then they go on to say, maybe there's a third way of looking at this uh, current situation that we're in, which portrays perhaps how serious this is. And in that, they talk about the fact that we could be in what they call the metaphor of a mini ice age. Now, of course, uh, we know historically when the ice age happened, by the time the ice age was over, everything had changed. The world was not the same. The landscape had changed. It was an entirely different place. And these guys are Christians who are writing this article and, and they're clear to be saying, look, we're not being pessimistic. We, we are praying for miracles. We're praying we're wrong. But actually, if things continue as they are, and this thing really does go on for the next 18 to 24 months, then essentially we could find it's like a mini ice age that by the time we come out of this, the world will have changed so dramatically. I mean, it's going to feel probably dramatically different coming out of this, even in three to four months, if that's the case, because of uh, people's job situation, relationship situation, their finances, their health, the number of people, the tragic, shocking number of people that may have passed away. Uh, like the world would never be the same again. And, and so their challenge is, what does that mean for us? as we start to think, not just for the next week, but what life might be like, particularly those of us who are leaders, to lead well as we step into the unknown. Uh, that is a song, by the way, if you've ever seen Frozen, uh, Frozen 2, the lead song in Frozen 2 is a song that is called Into the Unknown. And I sense, in a sense, that is where we're at right now, we are stepping into the unknown. Just last week, I read the, 
the headlines and the front pages of all the newspapers on the BBC News app. And it was just amazing. It would have been funny if it wasn't so serious that they essentially all said different things. They were all contradicting each other because no one really knows how this is going to play out. We are stepping into the unknown. Is it a blizzard? Is it winter? Is it a new ice age? And, and if it's winter and a new ice age, what does that mean? What will the world look like in a year to two years time if this keeps going? The implication for us as individuals, our families, our neighborhoods, our church, everything, like we just don't know. It reminds me um, of a leadership book that I read uh, a few years ago. And this guy, Jim Collins, talks about those companies, those organizations that are successful, embrace a value of confronting the brutal facts whilst at the same time not losing hope that things can change. And, and the older I get in life and in faith, I'm, I'm so aware of the importance of embracing what can seem like contradiction. That, that on the one hand we can say, look, this is a very, very serious moment that we're in. I'm resisting the urge to say unprecedented. This is a crazy moment. Nothing we've ever experienced. It feels like we're all in some crazy Hollywood disaster movie. And so the brutal facts are, this is serious, this is significant, it's scary. Unless something changes, hundreds if not millions of people are going to die through this disease. And the economic impact globally is, is something we just can't even get our head around. Like, this is serious. We need to confront the brutal facts, not put our heads in the sand. And yet, not lose hope that this is not the end of the story, that COVID ultimately is in our future, that there is a beyond. But how do we make really good choices now to position us ready for what lies ahead? And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the story where the people of God, the Israelites, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, finally find themselves again on the border of a place called Kadesh Barnea. And they're getting ready to, for the first time, fully cross the Jordan River and go into what is their promised land. But they know that this promised land stepping into it, it's not going to be easy. They know there are giants. They know there are huge military fortifications like Jericho. There are enemies that will want them dead. And so even though they know that God has promised to be with them and that God has promised to get them to where they need to get, they know there are battles, there are wars, there will be bloodshed, there will be pain, there will be suffering and struggle, even as they step into God's promise. They know all this confront the brutal facts. And, and yet what God does as they prepare to step into that new reality is he tells them what they need to hold close to them in terms of good choices that they can make as they face stepping into that new promised land, which was a step into the unknown for them. They just did not know how it was going to pan out. And I want to uh, basically look at uh, a few verses in Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, the Bible is made up of um, an Old Testament and a New Testament. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, basically get us to this point in God's big story of his people when they're about to cross the, the, uh, the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And so Deuteronomy is, is God speaking to this whole generation of people who are, who are going to step into this holy land, this sacred place. And, and so what Deuteronomy does is it basically is God speaking to those people through Moses to tell them, as you go into this land, 
Here are some things that you need to know about God. Here's some ways that you need to be as God's people that will enable you to prosper, even in the face of battles and challenges, to hold on. And so uh, we're going to read just um, a few verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And these verses are famous verses for not just the Bible, but for Jesus and for Jews even today, because these verses are called the Jewish Shema. Um, there are, I, I probably pronounced that wrong, Shema. Um, but basically, this is like a prayer. And every good Jew, the first thing they do in the morning and the last thing they do at night, they would pray and recite the verses that we're about to read. Jesus recites them himself. And once he was uh, even asked, what's the most important commandment? Some of us will know that moment he's asked that question and he quotes the Jewish Shema. You'll recognize it when you hear it. Uh, th these verses were, were supposed to be instilled in God's people as they stepped into the promise, even with battles ahead. And, and ever since, even since the, all those thousands of years ago, still today, uh, many Orthodox Jews will recite these words. So here they are. Let me just read them and then we'll break them down and draw out these four choices. Okay. So firstly, uh, verse four, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down or when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amazing words. Let's just pause and we'll just kind of step through them. And I want to draw some things out that we'll write up here. So just to set the overall thing, the first thing we get in this is this hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Like as God is speaking through Moses, the first thing he really wants these, his people to know, the whole family of God, because remember God's speaking to all of the family, mums and dads and children and grandparents and leaders, everyone gathered together to hear these words before they step into the promised land. And, and the overarching message that God wants to, them to know is this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Basically, God is saying to them, look, God is real. God loves you. There is a real God. He is for you. He's with you. He is the one true God and he is on your side and he's not on your case and he is worthy of you. Listening to him, following him. That's why it says, hear, O Israel, listen up. And actually this Hebrew word here literally means not just to listen, but to listen with the purposes of doing something about it. That when someone says to you something like, you know, could you go and get my shoes, please? It's not just that you're taking that as information. You realise that comes with an action. You're supposed to get the shoes. Uh, I'm sure all of us are very good at getting each other's shoes at home or teas or coffees or whatever. And so right at the start, before we get to our four choices, this sits within this framework, this umbrella of God saying, remember, I am your God. I, I, I love you. I'm for you. I'm the one God. You know, some, sometimes... People talk about the fact that the Christian faith is exclusive, maybe because of those famous words that Jesus said, where he said that no one will come to the Father except through me. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one will come to Father God except through me. And people will say, well, that's a bit exclusivist. What about all the other faiths? But really what Jesus was saying in that famous line is simply this. No one else is coming for you. 
No one else is coming for you. There is only one true God who is ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ. He's the one that created you. He's the one that knows you. He's the one that loves you. He's the one that has plans and purposes for you. He's the one who wants to save you and rescue and guide you and lead you and keep you in relationship with him so that you would have life and life in all its fullness, both now and forever. He is the one God. And at the very start of this, just as God says to us every day, God is saying, listen up, listen up to these four good choices that I'm inviting you to make. That if you make these good choices every day, whatever comes, good, bad or ugly, you're going to get through. You're going to be okay. And so we come to our first choice. And the first choice is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And so our choice number one is about loving God. Now, that might seem like an obvious, simple thing, but the whole point of this is that God is saying the most important thing that we do in life is that we make a daily choice to say, God, you first. We love you with our whole being. We put you on the throne of our life. We, we, we've made a choice that you are our leader, you're our king, you're our boss, you're our lord, you're our governor. You, you're the one who shows us how to live and we are following your way, your instructions. It's you, your Lord. We love you. And, and we love you with our whole being, with all of our heart, with all of our soul and with all of our strength. Like what is the measure of that love? Jesus says in John's Gospel, if you love me, if you really, really love me, you'll obey my commands. And we obey God's commands because we know that God's way of doing life, even though we're at odds with it sometimes, is good for us. God's not trying to spoil our fun. He wants us to have life and life in all its fullness. He wants to save us. So anything that God says we should do and anything he says we should not do is for our well-being. It's for our flourishing. And so we love God. We make a choice every day that whether life is hard or life is easy, we choose to hold on. Many of you will know that, that some years ago I went through my own personal storm. I'm sure you've been through your own personal storm. We're going through varying degrees of personal storms but by God's grace and God's help and God's enabling, I came through that and I just thank God and have such a testimony of God's goodness and what God rescued me from in the midst of that terrible, terrible personal storm. And many people have asked me, like, how did you get through that difficult time? How did you not give up on your faith? How did you not get mad at God and, and just become an atheist or something because you'd gone through such a degree of suffering? And those are good questions. And of course, I did have moments where I was just like, God... Like, why is this happening? Because I'm human, like you're human. Of course we ask the hows and the whys and the how long, all those things are just normal. But in the midst of the honesty of those things, as people said to me, like, how'd you get through? Of course it was the grace of God. Of course it was the, the kindness and support and prayers of other people. But if there's one thing that I had to do to cooperate with that, is simply this, I chose. Sometimes I chose in fear and trembling. Sometimes I chose with tears, sometimes I chose with anger and gritted teeth, but every day I made a decision at the start of every day. God, this situation in is it's horrible, it's not what I want, I, I, sometimes I can't believe you've allowed this to happen, but I love you, I hold on to you, I trust you that you will bring me through. I love you, I obey you with my whole being, I surrender again. And, and that daily choice alone, 
Whatever comes, I promise, will start to bring hope and peace and comfort by keeping God at the very centre of everything we do in life and faith. Love God. These, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Secondly, in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And so, so the second good choice is that we should be people who kind of love, love the word, the word of God. Like we have this incredible uh, God story, not an instruction manual for life, but God's story. The, it shows us the story of, of how this whole world came into being, what has gone wrong, how God through Jesus has put it right. And the part that we can play in joining in with what God is doing to see heaven break out in the world. And in that we see in this incredible story how we should live and how we do get free and how we do overcome as we become people of the book. So many verses in the Bible that talk about the life that this, that this book gives us. Verses in Timothy that says if you want to be trained and challenged and stretched and, and if you want to know every good work, then, then you turn to the scripture. It's God breathed. Jesus famously once said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But sometimes we just say, well, Jesus said the truth will set you free. But he didn't say that. He said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we want to be people who are, are passionate about the fact that God has given us his word, not just revealed in Jesus and that we love God first and foremost, but actually that we, we recognize how precious it is that God has shown us who we are and how we should live and how we overcome by being people of his word. These commands Jesus says to the people about to cross into the unknown, let to be upon your hearts, to, to go deep, that you would know this word, and as you know it, you would know freedom. And so like, you'll know that in this there is more year, like we're committed to, to know God better than we have ever done and become more like him than we've ever been. And a key part of that is the, is the practice of coming around God's word ideally on a daily basis, both ourselves just privately engaging with it, but in groups and with other people. What is God saying through his word? You know, we're doing the through the Bible in a year or through the New Testament in a year. And I just want to encourage you to get involved in that, to take some time, even a few minutes a day to read some scripture, to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through these verses? Speak to me. Reveal what God wants to say into my soul. Get ready, underline something. Uh, use it as a pointer for prayer. Let God's word speak. The spirit of God that is in us as Christians kind of connects with the word of God. And God can show us things and reveal things and strengthen us in so many ways as we get into his word. God was saying to his people, look, as you step into the unknown, not knowing really how this is going to play out, First and foremost, love God. Keep God at the centre. Obey him. How do you know what he wants you to do? First and foremost, be people of the book. Be people of the book. We have the word of God. Uh, let's not waste it. Let's not let it get dusty. Let's open it up and allow it to open up our lives. So that's the second choice. And then the third choice is all about the importance of relationships. Verse 7 says impress them on your children. 
And what God is saying here to his people is if you're going to step into the unknown well, the first choice you've got to make on a daily basis, love God, put God first. Secondly, love his word, apply his word to your life, let it bring life. And as these things are good news to you, they need to be good news through you to the generations that are yet coming. That which God is doing in your life, help God, cooperate with God to do it in the lives of others. And of course, there's a specific thing here, which is about the older generation taking responsibility for the younger generation. This word, impress them, impress relationship with God, impress these commands that are on your heart upon your children. And this word impressed in the, in the original Hebrew, it doesn't mean like a, a brand, like you, you get a, 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 I was going to say a dog, not a dog at all, you don't brand a dog, that would be a terrible thing to do. Uh, when you uh, brand a cow or an ox uh, as a farmer, you, you don't, like you do that as a one-off thing, but that's not, that's not what this is like. This word impressed literally means this continual passing on, this continual commitment. Essentially, what God is saying, you journey with people, impress these things on, uh, on the lives of people in the journey that they have from childhood to adult, from non-faith to faith. Walk with people, journey with people, walk alongside people, help people process their questions and their doubts. May all the things that you do point people to Jesus, impress them, impact them. And so the third choice is the choice about our relationships. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for God. And because we're living for God, it means we're living for others, that we want other people to know the wonderful difference that God makes in our lives. And so we are committed to journey with people in faith. Uh, not one-off encounters, but we're looking to make friends, to get to know people, to be good news in a variety of ways. And that's the final choice. The final choice is the choice around our example. Because here what, here's what the scripture says. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them where you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get out. And so, so God's saying here, your example is the way that you speak. So may the way that you speak make it clear that you are speaking differently because Jesus is your boss, he's your Lord, and you're living in accordance with his way of doing life. Let your words be words of life, not complaint, not con criticism, uh, kind words, not gossipy words. We, we want to be that kind of example in the way that we speak, but then also just the way that we live. And then we get this weird verse 8 because it says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now this tie them, i.e. the commands of God on your uh, hands and on, bind them on your foreheads. This, this whole idea in Deuteronomy 6, 8, the Jewish people, particularly the priests, they took this really seriously and they created these things called phylacteries, which were like boxes that they used to put the word of God in. And then they literally would strap the word of God around their heads. They looked like maybe ancient Daleks with this thing on their head. And that really wasn't what God was intending. But the essence of this was that when the children looked at the adults, because they were carrying the word of God on them, that they would see something of God. 
And so thousands of years later, what's the application of that? It's simply this, that the, the way that we are living our lives, are we showing people that God is alive and present and at work in our lives? Like, is, is our example pointing to the fact that we love God and that we're choosing him even in the tough times? Is the way that we're living our lives revealing to the world that we're, we're doing our, our best with the help of the Holy Spirit to live in accordance with God's word. That we're living a deliberately different life, a Jesus-centered life, an other-centered life because that is the way of following Jesus. And so that when people look at us, do they see that in our example? And there are scriptures, again, in the, in the New Testament where we're, we're encouraged. Jesus himself, we're the light of the world. We're supposed to be living in such a way. Not that people then turn to us and say, wow, aren't you great? But that actually they realize that there's something that's driving us to be different. There's something that has enabled us to be different. Um, you know, I, I love those stories of when people come to faith and their family and friends say, you have changed. You've positively changed. You're, you're not so angry. You're not so uptight. You don't gossip as much. You, you're, you're kinder. You're more thoughtful. You're more gracious. You're more loving. Uh, you're, you are more at peace. And these are the things that should flow through us as we daily surrender to God. Now listen, I'm a realist. I know that there are times when we don't feel very peaceful and we don't feel very kind. But, but if we daily surrender and if we daily invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in us, then that's not just good for us, but it's good news for those around us. And so in this famous prayer, this Jewish Shema, that every Jew would recite at the start of the day, at the end of their day, these four simple choices that, that we can pray and that we can make every day will be good for us as we step into the unknown. Who knows what's going to happen, whether we're going to be in a blizzard, whether in winter or, in a, or coming out the side of a mini ice age. We, we don't know. But there are choices that we can make in the midst of the uncertainty. And we can make a daily choice. God, we love you and we choose you and we trust you. And we make you Lord and King. We surrender to you. And we're going to choose to obey you and do life your way in this moment and every moment, every day. Lord, we want to get into your book. But more importantly, we want your book, your word to get into us and bring freedom as the Holy Spirit takes this word and changes us for our good. But then for the good of others, we want to build loving, authentic relationships with people. We want to journey with them in life and faith. We want to be there. Even if they decide not to follow Jesus, we want to be present with them. We want to give them the gift of our presence, our, our commitment to be with them, whether life is good or bad or ugly. And as we are in those relationships, we recognize the importance of our example that we want our words to be the kind of words that Jesus would say if he was speaking to them. We want our actions, what we're modeling, to be the kind of thing that Jesus would do if he was us in that moment living and breathing and working through us. Because after all, we're called to be the body of Christ. And God was saying in this Shema, if we can make these four choices every day, like don't think about next year, but just make those choices every day. We will be in good shape for the day, but for whatever lies ahead as we step into the unknown. Even when the tough times come, even if we're holding on to God by the tip of our fingers or gritting our teeth, 
day by day walking with him, making these choices will prepare us well, will grow us well as those things go deep. And so that's my prayer for you and I, that, that we'll take some time to figure out what, is, what does this look like? Maybe uh, the next step for you off the back of this is to think, okay, I'm really gonna commit to make time to build some practices that draw me closer to God in prayer, in worship, in the word, both by myself, but also with others. You know, the Bible was primarily written to be read in community. It's in community that we learn together, we grow together and we apply it. And then we're praying, Lord, would you help what I'm learning transform the way that I'm speaking and the way I'm being for my good but for the good of other people, that others would be drawn to you, the hope that you have. Help me to be a shining light, the light of the world in all the darkness and the challenges we see around us. So how are you gonna to respond to this? What does this mean for you today as you respond to those four choices? My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that the Holy Spirit, as always, will take his word, help us figure it out, what small steps will we take, even in the next 24 hours, to apply this and start to do life different, start to do life even better, life closer to God for our good and the good of the world.